All right, so if you have your um, Bibles with you or your devices, you can turn uh, this morning to uh, the Gospel of Luke. So what we're doing this morning is um, what we always do when we go through um, a series, whether thematic or biblical, usually for the sake of our care groups, we go one week on, one week off, one week on, one week off, and then on those off Sundays, um, I have the opportunity to preach some what we call free text sermons, and one of those free text sermons comes from uh, Luke chapter 11. We're going to begin uh, reading at verse uh, 1. So, um, yeah, uh, Dave mentioned his prayer, and you can tell it in my voice, just, uh, I don't know, uh, I never had an allergy until I was in my mid-50s, and I don't know what happens in your mid-50s, but things tend to go south real fast, and uh, uh, just got slammed with allergies, and I don't know, I think it's the juniper or something. I mean, all those trees are blooming, and it's, it's a little crazy, but anyway, hopefully it'll, it'll be gone in a few days, and uh, remember Dave praying, uh, Lord, uh, give Phil... Uh, Billy to preach powerfully and boldly. I got to be honest with you. It's, it's probably the last way uh, or the last thing I want to, I feel right now. But you know, um, you got to take courage in the scriptures. I think of the apostle Paul where he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and the power. And, you know, uh, we, we come to the Lord in our own lives, oftentimes in human weakness, but God transcends that weakness, doesn't he, by means of his spirit, and the word itself has power. So hopefully we'll sense that this morning. All right, Luke chapter 11, <clears throat> I want to begin reading at uh, actually verse 14, verse 14. So let's uh, draw our attention to the word of the Lord. Now, he, that is Jesus, was casting out a demon. That was mute. Now, kids, when you read mute, I don't know if you know what that means, but it means that the man um, had a spirit in him that uh, uh, would not allow him to speak. That's what it means. Mute means couldn't speak. And when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Now, just... Uh, three more verses, verses 24, 25, and 26, and that's going to be the focus of uh, the sermon this morning. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, 
it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. Now, um, you, you have to, I mean, if you read your Bible, even similarly, regularly, I think there are a number of occasions, and you especially find this if you are kind of starting to read the Bible for yourself for the first time. You're going you're gonna to face a lot of things, especially in the teaching of Jesus, where you just really get a sense that, that he's getting at something really important, but I'm not quite sure what he's really getting at. And I, this is one situation, right? I think there's a lot of us who, even if we've been in the Christian faith all our lives, are kind of scratching our heads a little bit this morning about verses 24, 25, and 26, because Jesus is speaking about things like, well, first of all, an evil spirit, and then plural, evil spirits, and he talks about waterless places and empty spaces, and uh, uh, the restlessness on behalf of these spirits, and you put all this together, you, know, you mix it up, and you're like, what's he really getting at? Well, perhaps we can uh, get a little bit of an idea what's going on here through a simple phrase that purportedly comes from the philosopher Aristotle in the area of physics, and he said this, at least it's attributed to him, you've probably heard this, um, nature abhors a vacuum, you heard that? Nature abhors a vacuum. And what's behind that basically is this, that when, when a void is created or there's an empty space that is created, it's, it's the tendency of nature, the creation, to want to fill that void in, in some ways. And what Jesus is doing is he's kind of saying the same thing, uh, not not naturally so much as supernaturally. And so what Jesus is getting at here is this. It's, it's one thing to face difficulties in our lives and even in evil influences that come our way or things that we have embraced. And it's not just enough to say, um, I don't want those evil influences anymore. And it's not just enough to, to, to put them out of our lives and say, no more. You can do that, but what Jesus is saying is, well, then that's a good thing, but then what you've done is you've kind of created a, a void, and it's a void that needs to be filled then with good things, with virtue. So here's the point. You can get rid of certain vices in your life, but that's not good enough. You also have to take on certain virtues, and, and even more so, you need to be converted. You need to be drawn to Christ. You need to be filled with Christ. And that basically is the theme of what Jesus is getting at here. And it's something that we're going to tease out a little bit and uh, get into a little more detail, especially practically speaking. So before we do that, what I want to do is I want to kind of set the context because, you know, we started at verse 14 and then we went up to, to verse 23. And if, if, if you gather what was going on there, basically, I'm not going to go into great detail, but what's happening is that Jesus is having a dispute with a bunch of religious leaders at that time who Jesus oftentimes had run-ins with. Now, they were religious leaders, but, but Jesus knew their heart. And Jesus knew that though they were in a position of religious authority, he knew that their hearts were empty. 
And so he, he, he has this dispute with them, which basically centers around a man that he healed of an evil spirit. That's the one who caused this man to be mute, who couldn't speak. Jesus heals the man of this evil spirit. And the, the Pharisees observed this, and they were talking among themselves, and they, they, were, they, were, they were getting at the source of Jesus' authority and power in getting rid of this spirit. They didn't think he had the power to do that himself, so he's drawing upon another power. And what is that power? Well, they thought, well, because they didn't like Jesus, they said what Jesus is doing, he's, he's drawing upon the source of evil powers, and they mentioned Beelzebul, which could be um, a reference to Satan himself or as the prince of demons or maybe a very, very high-level demon, a very powerful demon. And demons, by the way, you know, you read about them, but uh, a lot of people just think they're kind of mythological figures. The demons are very real. The demons are very, they're operative today. And they're very powerful and they're very insidious. And ultimately, their intent is to destroy, to destroy people. So that's what's going on here in this passage. And so they're saying the source that Jesus is drawing upon is the source of, of, of evil itself. And to, just to, to end this very quickly, Jesus is saying just how ludicrous and how irrational this is. Jesus is like, um, why, would, why would I draw upon and align myself with evil in order to get rid of evil? You would think if I align myself with evil, I would use that to fight against a good spirit or an angel of the Lord, but that's not what I'm doing. So what you're saying is it, it doesn't make any sense. A kingdom divided against itself does, cannot stand, Jesus is saying. And Jesus saying, okay, Pharisees will say your sons take care of this issue. And they, they release a man from a demon or demons within. Are they also joined upon evil? So Jesus is just saying, this is, this, is, this is ridiculous. And what Jesus really is exposing among the Pharisees is just their ignorance and it's their arrogance and it's their, their spiritual void. They are empty. And Jesus saying, by, by way of implication, you need that void to be filled. You need to draw near to me. You need to recognize who I am. And you need to get rid of this ignorance and this vice in your life in order that you might come alive to me. And then Jesus goes on to demonstrate that in verses 23 through 26 by something that's very simple. Kids, you can understand this. Jesus says, okay, so let's say you have a, a demon that lives in a man. So a demon is an evil spirit that 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 lives in a people. And so you have, let's say you have this man who has an evil spirit. And let's say, and Jesus didn't say how, but let's say that that demon is actually driven from that man. So now that man, his, his house, referring to his body, his house is swept clean. Doesn't have that demon anymore, right? So what does that demon do? The demon floats around here and there among waterless places, which is a representation of desolate places because a demon himself is desolate and intent on destroying others. And so the demon is gone, but then in time what the demon does after wandering around for a time, he goes back to that man and he realizes that while he has been ejected from that man, the man has not filled himself with anything that is right and good, and realizing that there is a void and nature abhors a vacuum, the demon says, well, I'm going to re-enter that man. But not only that, I'm going to re-enter that man with seven other spirits that are even more evil than myself so that that man's last state is going to become worse than the first state. Now, 
it's, it's, with Jesus, oftentimes, you just have a very simple illustration that's really profound in its implications. What is Jesus really saying here? Well, what, what Jesus is, 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 is getting at here and, and has profound implications for our walk with God, and that is Jesus is saying, listen, it's not enough for you to recognize those influences that are drawing away from God and are enslaving you as a person. It's not enough to say no, and it's not even enough to unite yourself to me and draw near to me. Jesus is saying what you also need to do is you, you, you need to have me fill you. You need to have me fill this empty void in your lives, and you need to cultivate deeper communion with me. Deeper ongoing, everyday walk with me. Because if you don't, because if you don't, the Bible says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. What you're going to do over time is experience a slow, slow moral decline. And beware that your last state that you end up in is actually worse than the first state that you were in. Let me, let me um, get away from the passage for just a moment and, and speak to you um, very practically and personally about this. And I want to I wanna address um, three types that we have at Pathway, in which most churches I trust have. Those of you who are not currently walking with Jesus and who are definitively a Christian, those of you who are new Christians, maybe you've come to Jesus the last few years, and those of us who have never known a day when we did not walk with Jesus. First of all, Jesus is teaching here regarding if you have not been drawn to Christ, okay, or you're not a Christian. There, there are things in your life that you face where you don't have to be a Christian to recognize this. These, these influences in your life, they're, they're diminishing you as a person, and they're eating away at you. And, and they, are, they are also things that are distracting you from your greatest need, which is Jesus, which is Jesus. But you see what Jesus is saying, it's just not enough to recognize these things in your life. And it's not just enough to try to put them away from your life. Jesus is saying, you need to become a Christian. You need to, you need to come to me. I need to, you need to come to the end of yourself in order that you might find your life in me. Otherwise, otherwise you, will, you, will never, you will never get out of this pit in which you are in. So Jesus says, come, come to me. For those who are new Christians, you have to realize, and, and, and I stand on the basis of the Bible, um, you have to understand how vulnerable you are because you're, you're, just a, you're, you're still somewhat of a baby Christian. Maybe you don't view yourself like that, but unless you've been in the Christian faith for two, three, four years or more, you're, you're, still, you're still kind of a baby Christian. You're in a very vulnerable state. Do you know why you're in a vulnerable state? It's because Satan doesn't like to give up territory. He does not like to give up territory, and he's going to keep going after you to draw you back to himself. And this is, this is a reality that, that young Christians face um, in their lives. And, um, you know, it's very possible as, as Christians, especially as a young Christian, to start strong 
but not necessarily end strong. Do you remember Solomon in the Bible? Solomon, um, when he was young and he had to, uh, he was going to become king. He prayed to the Lord to give him the ability to lead well. He didn't pray for power. He didn't pray for wealth. He didn't pray for the death of his enemies. But what he did is he prayed to the Lord and he said, Lord, just help me lead well. The Lord answered that prayer. And that was as a young man. You think, wow, how many young men would do that today? But here's the thing. Solomon, who began well, did not end well. He simply did not end well. And I don't know if you know the story, but later on in his life, he married, um, he married uh, a number of concubines, or he took on a number of concubines. I think the number is 700. I guess one woman wasn't enough for him. His older man um, is these concubines that led him to the forbidden altars of Chemish, Astroth, and Molech, pagan gods. So he began well, he didn't end well. So here's, here's the point that, that Jesus um, is, is making in, in this passage, and I think it's a, it's a very valid point that Jesus makes in the passage, and that is, that is, it is this. Um, you have to be very, very careful. You have to be very, very careful. And now, and, and I want to say this to my Afghani friends, okay, and I want to say this to some of you, perhaps, who um, have left the church for a while, and you maybe wandered about for whatever reason, but then you decide to come back, and now you find yourself at Pathway. Now is not the time to, to just settle in. Now is the time to go deep. Now is the time to apply yourself to the Lord, to apply yourself to the Word, to find precious jewels in His Word, to pray to Him regularly. I mean, I mean pray. Pour your out to God. Don't, don't just list things. Bring your heart to the Lord. Now is the time for you to, to connect a pathway, connect to a care group, and get involved as much as you can and grow and ask the Lord to grow you. But one final thing, and I want to bring this out as well, and that is if, if you are a seasoned Christian, don't, don't underestimate your ability to fall into um, what I call besetting sins. And you say, well, what, what kind of sins are you talking about? Well, things like pride, manifests in different ways. Um, uh, pornography is always available. Sexual sin, don't, don't ever think that you might not cross that. Um, anger issues, chronic negativity, marital problems, other things like this. Um, there, there was an article that I read uh, uh, about a year ago, and I actually, do you ever do this? You read articles online, you make photocopies of them just so you have available and I have this one article, and I put it, I put it on, on one of the shelves of the house. I go back to it once a month, maybe once every two months. And it's called uh, The Sins of Older People, particularly pastors. And I just read it, and I'm like, wow. Would you put that up there? Give me a minute. He talks about gospel cowardice, losing your edge, not being as bold as you once were, gospel indifference, where you're no longer willing as you get older because you start lacking energy to fight for the things that you once did. Theological compromise, people-pleasing, sentimentality. You know what he means by that? You know as you get older, you, you tend to reminisce a lot. You start thinking, especially when our culture is going the way that it is, you start thinking, oh man, those days years ago, 
like the 70s or the 80s or 90s. Now, those were good decades, and it really stinks right now. Grumpiness, thanklessness, entitlement, and self-pity. Do you know that when you get in your 50s, 60s, and 70s and things aren't going your way, particularly in the ministry, it's very easy for ministers to say, man, I put in 20, 30, 40 years. I'm entitled to some, some good things. You know, why do I have to put up with this? It goes with the ministry, right? That's the way it works. Rigidity. Sloppy preparation, that's feeding on the fat of maybe 20, 30 years of study, but then you let your books alone and you don't dig anymore. Moral compromise, just don't think that happens with young men. Disappointment with God. Hey, I'm running to the end of ministry. I'm running to the end of my life. I want to end well. Why am I not ending well? Lord, I'm disappointed, you know, these kinds of things. You know, here's the point. This is my point. You and I, I don't... I don't care if you're, you're not a Christian or you're a young Christian or you've been a Christian all your life. We are all in the same boat in, in, a, in a sense. We're all in the same boat. We all fall short of the glory of God and we all need to die to ourselves in order that we might come alive in Christ. And we all need to put off the old ways and fill that void by putting on new ways and new virtues and cultivating those virtues through Christ's word and spirit. You can never settle in. Never settle in. Now, why do I use those terms like, man, we got to put off and fill the empty void by putting on? The reason why I say that is because that's the teaching of the Apostle Paul. Would you put on the second passage for me, please? Take a look at this. Put off the old self, which belongs to your former way of life, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, just notice these two concepts and be very simple. And, and kids, think about it this way, okay? Now, he says, um, let's say you're wearing, like I'm wearing this jacket, let's say this jacket represents just the, the way of life that's not pleasing to God or all these negative things that are going on in your life. And the Apostle Paul says, when you come to Jesus, what you need to do is you need to take this off. This is your old ways, and this is what you need to do just throw it on the ground like that. And the Apostle Paul says, now leave it there. Leave it there. And let's say, <clears throat> this is a different coat. Let's say, after you leave the old coat behind, he says, now you put on this new coat. This is your new identity in Jesus. And it's a great coat. It doesn't have any holes in it. It looks good, you know. And he says, now you put on that new coat. Now keep it on. The old coat, leave it on the ground. Don't go sniffing after it. Take it on, put on the new coat, and walk in the new coat. Walk in your new life in Jesus Christ. That's what the Lord calls us to do. Otherwise, if we don't do that, what we start doing is we start slipping back into old ways, and we're not growing in Christ anymore. Let me give you one other example of that from the Bible. I want you to listen to this. I didn't have it put on the screen, but just follow along with me. Very quickly, what the, what the Apostle Paul, or not Paul, what Peter is doing here, He's talking about false teachers in the church. And these are, these are individuals who were converted to Jesus. They changed, left the old ways behind. And actually, they were men of learning, and they started to teach God's people. But they fell into one of those sins that were mentioned on the screen, theological compromise. And they started to teach people heresy and the wrong things about God. Peter says this then about them. He says, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome so that 
And I'm going to suggest to you that he's drawing upon Jesus' words here in Luke chapter 11. He says, they get entangled in them in the old ways and they're overcome so that the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. That, and, and here's a kind of graphic image that he gives. He says, these people, these false teachers who went the way of all error, although they were once converted to Christ, he says, when they, go, when they fall into error, he says, he likens them to the dog that returns to its own vomit and the sow, after watch, washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. I remember about 25 years ago, back in Washington, when we were pastoring there, our family had a black lab. And uh, we took that black, I still remember this, we were at Birch Bay, and we had this dog following us. And I don't know if your dogs do this, but this black lab would eat anything. And he saw this dead blackbird on the ground. It had been sitting there for I don't know how long, you know, rotting away. And he's like, he gobbles that thing up, you know. And he gobbles that thing up. And then he's okay for about two minutes. And all of a sudden I hear this. And out comes that bird. And so, it sounds rather graphic here, I know. But, but out comes, and, and, and what he does, he's not just satisfied with getting rid of the bird out of his stomach. He starts sniffing around it, you know. And what Peter's saying, listen, it's kind of graphic, but that's the way false teachers are. You know, when, when, when they were unorthodox, but they fall into theological compromise, and they, and they fall into error, and they teach that error, man, it's like a dog swallowing a bad bird, but then coughing it up, vomiting it out. But that's not enough. They go sniffing after it again. I mean, they're, they're, they, have, they, have, they have lost the way. Or like a pig that gets out of the mire, out of the dirt and the muck, and, and then he gets washed off, but then he, he decides to go back to it. Right? So here's the point. Peter says, just like Jesus, that it's the, the last state becomes worse than the first. They've returned. They've gone back. In other words, they've taken off the coat, but now they've picked up the coat again, that old coat. Now they're wearing it again. The, the point, very simply, again, is don't go back. Don't go back. Draw near to Jesus and be filled with him and ask for his place in your life. So what I want to do is I'll just, I'll just end with this. I want you to ask, I want to have you ask yourself these questions, and these are very personal questions. Ask yourself this question, these questions, not only what have I died to, but what must I really come alive to? Not only what um, have I put off, but what actually must I more positively, to fill the empty spaces, put on? Um, not only what has Jesus done for me, but really ask yourself the question right now, what is Jesus doing in you and through you that demonstrates that he's filling the empty spaces in your life? And then also this encouragement as you grapple with these questions. Know that, that Jesus is our ultimate encourager because Jesus, my friends, is all about restoration. When you look at Jesus' ministry and he's healing this person and that person, it's a beautiful illustration that that healing and that transformation is available to all those who come to the end of themselves and say, Jesus, you know what? I need you. I am weak, but I know you are strong. Oh, Lord, work in me and not only clean out my house, but, Lord, 
put new furniture in, put new aromas in, paint those walls and make me a beautiful place for your glory and for my joy. Let that prayer be all ours this morning. In fact, let's pray for that now. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we all um, by nature are people who have, um, well, to put it bluntly, squatters living in our house. People who, an influence in our lives that, that trash our house, poke holes in the drywall and break the plumbing and do their dirty business in the living room. Lord, we all have these, these influences in our lives, some that come to us, some that are self-generated. But, but Lord, we pray this morning that in the lives of every one of us, Lord, whether we are just kids, whether we are adults, or whether we are older members, um, or even, a, even pastors, Lord, that we, we are all in this boat together, and we're praying, oh Lord, sweep us clean. Sweep us clean. And then do more than that, Lord. Transform us and make us come alive through your resurrection power so that we may experience the joy not only of forgiveness, but the joy of restoration, the joy of transformation. God, do that, we pray. More and more, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.